Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek graphic novels collection. Get your first volume countdown for only $4.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 231, Tapestry. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we relive an episode from Star Trek history, contemplating the decisions that were made, the lessons that were learned, and then we try to determine if those lessons made us into the people we are today. This week, Tapestry, the one where Lord Clarence MacDonald goes to Brunvald Castle to look at the famous tapestries. No, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Uh, this is the Star Trek episode, Tapestry, the one where Picard gets stabbed in the heart. Repeatedly. Then I am not Mickey Mouse. Well... We can talk about that later. Uh, right now, well, I was going to say right now you've got trivia, but hold, hold, hold on there, pal. We'll get to your trivia in a moment, but first... But first, a word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. They are tops at what they do, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And you say, even me? And I say, well, you're part of everyone, so yeah. All that starts with the ingredients. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. Blue Apron has partnered with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the U.S., each working in ways that are responsible and sustainable. So you've got the ingredients. That, that's established. We, we have those. Now, what are you going to make? Well, with Blue Apron, you can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. They have lots of delivery options, so you can choose what fits your needs. And Blue Apron comes with no strings attached, so you only get deliveries when you want them. And here are some of the recipes you could be enjoying. Spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salada. Mm. Yes, indeed. Uh, sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice. Yeah, and Parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy <laughs> fettuccine and roasted broccoli. I'll take it. Yeah, you'll take all of that. I know. You, you get all those things. <laughs> so uh, the thing for you to do is what John has done, what I have done, and what we hope uh, to continue to do for a long time to come. Uh, keep trying Blue Apron. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. Now it's time for trivia, right? Oh, wait. Hold oh, on. Oh, oh. Oh. I'm starting to feel like a jerk, but I'm only starting to, so I'm going to persist. Okay. Uh, I want to tell people how to get in touch with us before we do the trivia thing. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, I feel like there was something else we wanted to do this segment. Oh, um, hmm. Oh, I know. We, we did the business 
Let's get down to business with trivia. Let's do that. All right. Today's show, Tapestry, is written by Ronald D. Moore. Uh, So, yeah, Ronald D. Moore is really invested in this episode. And similar ideas have been kicked around before. But remember that open submission policy that we might have talked about before? Well, after this episode aired, James Mooring sent a letter to Paramount, which basically said, uh, hey, guys, great episode. But um, I kind of wrote the whole near death white light thing and submitted it a while back. So uh, to her credit, Jerry Taylor looked it up and, well, James Mooring was right. And the production profusely apologized for the oversight and paid James what was owed to him. It was an honest mistake and they made right by him. Now, the episode is directed by Les Landau. We saw his work very recently with Chain of Command Part 2. And let's see, this episode takes us to Starbase Earhart. Of course, that is named for aviator Amelia Earhart. And if you're visiting Starbase Earhart, you will probably spend some time at Bonestell Recreation Facility, named for Chesley Bonestell. He was an artist and illustrator, and you definitely have seen his work. He did so much of that classic space art from the 50s and 60s. And his mat work appeared in War of the Worlds, Conquest of Space, the TV series Men Into Space. And he even painted backgrounds for the movie Citizen Kane. Um Let's see here. Little things that I noticed. Oh, I I really like that Q is munching on a large raw leaf of bok choy because he's Q and why not? Uh, Let's see. We have a reference to the class of 27. Again, kind of hammering home the idea that Picard is much older than Patrick Stewart. He's not a whole lot older than Patrick Stewart. He's not as much older this time than he was last time, is he? Because they say that he's 21 when he graduates the academy and then they say 30 years later his artificial heart got fried. So that makes him like 51. Yeah, well, but here's the thing, though. So if you go by the episode, the episode says 30 years. However, if you look at things like the the timeline that the Okudas did, and you kind of look at what is generally accepted as the, the time that this episode takes place. Mm-hmm. So the episode takes place, and, and, and Next Gen essentially starts in about 2360-something, so by that math, Picard is like 61 or so by the time this episode takes place. So Patrick Stewart, I believe, if I'm correct, he was about 47 mm-hmm. when he started. Yeah, I know. Right. There's your <laughs> reference. He was about 47 when he started the show. And now we're six seasons in. But he was playing a character that was probably about 55. So. Yeah, he, he's probably somewhere around his early 60s. I, I think in the show, when they say 30 years, it's not actually quite 30 years. But as we all know, Star Trek timelines are, are somewhat fluid and not always consistent. But that's okay. Um, hey, that artificial heart prop, I thought that was really cool. I got in touch with Doug Drexler, and he said he's pretty sure that it was an off-the-shelf item from Modern Props. Um Sadly, I, I don't think it's around for us to rent anymore for photo ops, although that would be a fun one to have, too. Um, and, of course, that heart was mentioned before in Samaritan Snare and in Final Mission. And, hey, if you look outside Captain Picard's dorm room window, um, I, I bet you didn't know that Starbase Earhart is full of Sandmen. Yes, that, that building in the window is the miniature of Sandman headquarters from Logan's Run. And uh, other pieces from Dome City appear there, too. Let's see. Uh, we have a reference to Captain Thomas Halloway, although in an earlier draft of the script, that would have been Captain Jellico, mm. who was the captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, right. Could see that one coming. And when I actually did wonder if, like, why it wouldn't be, because that would have been a great callback just a couple of episodes ago. The only problem mm-hmm. is you can't yep. have basically the same Enterprise if you've got Jellico in command. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he would have fired Riker on day one. You know, if, that, if he was just given that command. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, what's no. his name? Data's wearing a red shirt. And, you know, yeah. there probably aren't even any <laughs> right. blue shirts left on Jellicoe's ship because, you know, science, yeah. that's for sciencey people. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, put the robot in line of fire. <laughs> just, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, and there are missing scenes for this episode. One in engineering where we would have actually seen Jordy. And uh, of course, he would have been very dismissive of Lieutenant Picard. And then another longer take of that morning after talk between Picard and Marta. 
Let's talk about guest stars. Of course, we have John Delancey back as Q. We have Clive Church showing up as Picard's father, and that is his only professional acting credit. That's crazy. I know, right? That's crazy, because I actually thought, man, I want to see this guy's work, because, boy, did he just... Yeah, he was just... He he, he was really good, and I totally bought him as being related to Robert. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. It was kind of perfect, yeah. Uh, Let's see, we have Clint Carmichael playing the main Nausicaan that we meet here. Uh, He's been working steadily as an actor since the 80s. Uh, Stuff like The A-Team, CSI Cyber, Magnum P.I., Knight Rider, just to name a few. He will be back for more Star Trek with an appearance on Voyager, and his voice makes an appearance on the video game Star Trek Elite Force 2. Marcus Nash played young Jean-Luc, and this was his first professional acting gig in the years since he has turned his attention to writing and producing. We have Ned Vaughn as Corey Zweller. Ned is an Alabama native. What, what? Uh, Got his start in theater and then made the transition to TV and film almost equally. He had recurring roles on China Beach, Murder One, Jag 24, and more. And we mentioned The Hunt for Red October last week. And yes, he was in that movie. He was also featured in Apollo 13. And he appeared on an episode of Boston Legal, Mad Cows. And finally, we have J.C. Brandy as Marta. J.C. or Justine is from England, and she started in TV as a regular on a show, a pretty unknown show called Wolf. Later on, she appeared on Femme Fatale's Murder, She Wrote, CSI, and more. She's a big fan of the original Halloween, and then she appeared in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Now, J.C. was only 17 when this episode was filmed. Whoa. It was decided. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. It was decided early on that her styling needed to make her look more mature since she would be in more intimate scenes with Picard. She did say in the end that even though she was intimidated working with Patrick Stewart, she was very happy with the way their scenes played. A few weeks ago, Captain Picard was relieved of duty, in the cold open. This week, Captain Picard dies, in the cold open. Cold opens, do not seem to agree with Captain Picard. Prologue. An away team including Riker, Worf, and Picard have been beamed directly to sickbay. They were ambushed on a mission of diplomacy. And now Crusher is losing Picard. A weapons blast views some of the parts of his artificial heart. The situation is tense and frantic. Now, for Picard, it's a bit different. From his perspective, it's all calm, white light, empty space. Ahead, there's a spectral figure. In a seemingly friendly gesture, the figure reaches out its hand, which Picard accepts. Sucker, it's Q. He welcomes Picard to the afterlife and informs the captain that he's dead. Act 1. Q is kind enough to recap for people who missed the prologue. This is the afterlife. Picard died about five minutes ago. And adding a new bit to the mix, Q says, he's God. Picard refuses to believe that last bit. No way the universe is screwed up enough to have Q as the supreme being. Q says he'll prove it. And suddenly there's Picard's dad, scolding him for having joined Starfleet. Had he not done that, he'd still be alive with more years ahead. He never listened, and he still manages to disappoint. Picard tells Q to stop it, which he does, though the scolding of Picard's father is replaced by seemingly countless voices, each of which seems pained by a past decision of Picard's. Q says these are the voices of people Picard's killed throughout the years, the people who have died through Jean-Luc's actions or inactions. If he'd like to offer apology, he can, though Picard says he's not going to perform for Q. Q swears it's for the good of Picard's soul, but Picard's not buying it. Here's the thing, though. Q says the two of them are going to be together for eternity. So if Picard has anything he wants to get off his chest, he should go ahead and do that now. No regrets? Q tells Picard that it was his artificial heart that killed him. Had he had a real one, he'd have survived the ambush. 
and here Q finds what he's been looking for. Picard says it was a mistake that led to his having an artificial heart. In fact, there are many things he regrets from his youth, including the fight with the three Nausicans that led to his being stabbed in the back and through the heart. Picard and Q see the fight replayed before them. Interestingly, looking down at the blade in his chest, the younger Picard laughs before falling unconscious. Q wonders over that, though Picard says he was a different person then. Arrogant. Too much ego. Not enough wisdom. Q says it's a pity he changed, though Picard says the pity is that he had to be stabbed through the heart to change. If he had it to do all over again, Picard says things would be different. And with that, he is a young ensign, fresh out of the academy, and being slapped by some woman. Act 2. In presentation, this episode is a bit quantum leapy. Picard is young Picard. To the viewer, and himself, Picard looks like the middle-aged captain we know. But to his best friends, Corey and Marta and everyone else in the past, he looks the way he did then. Because, as Q explains, it is then. Picard is 21 years old, straight out of the academy. He and Corey and Marta are headed off to their first postings in a day or two. Picard said things would be different. So, make them different. Well, of course he can't. Any change he makes to the past could do irreparable harm to the future. Yeah, says Q, you're actually not that important. Not enough to affect history. But tell you what, I will guarantee you that nothing big will get broken. The only thing that'll change is you, your life, and your peace of mind. If he avoids getting stabbed in the heart, Q will send Picard back to the future, his present, to live out his days with a real heart. And with that, Picard's journey through the past begins in earnest. The woman slapping Picard at the end of Act 1, she was a special lady friend of Picard's, who was upset to find that he had a date planned with another special lady friend that afternoon. But now Picard is... Well, he's not screwing up that second date. It's just he's not the brash 21-year-old who made the date yesterday. He's a 50- or 60-something-year-old guy questioning his past. In short, he's screwing up the second date. It ends with a drink in Picard's face. Q says he had no idea Picard was such a ladies' man, though Picard says he wasn't. He was an idiot, led around by his hormones. Picard joins Marta to watch Corey clean up at Domjot. You can call it Space Pool. This is when we meet the Nausicans. Play Domjot Human is the Nausicans' challenge to Corey. Act 3. Picard tries to talk Corey out of playing, but Corey won't hear it. While he plays, Picard and Q have a chat. Corey will lose this match. The Nausicaan is cheating. When Corey figures that out, he'll want revenge. He'll cheat the Nausicaan. Last time this happened, Picard helped Corey, which led to the fight that earned Picard his artificial heart. Will he do it again? It would seem not. When Picard sheepishly tells Corey that his plan is too dangerous, Marta agrees. But Corey is resolute. He chides Picard for backing away from a fight, then walks out. While Corey is disappointed in Picard's newfound streak of responsibility, Marta seems attracted to it. Then Q busts in and reminds everyone what a ladies' man 21-year-old Picard is. He's delivering flowers from one of Picard's special lady friends. Marta sees that as her cue to exit. In conversation, we hit what may be another regret from Picard's youth. Not his friendship with Marta, but the fact that it never developed into something more. That's not the only reason for Q's visit, though. He wanted Picard to know that Corey is off rigging the Domjot table. He'll cheat the Nausicans on his own if he has to. Or he would have. Picard talks Corey out of the action. Well, he threatens to tell the authorities if Corey continues. Picard says cheating the Nausicans is a risk they cannot take. Corey relents, though he's obviously upset. Marta, on the other hand, is not upset at all. In fact, she's pleased. This is a whole new side of Picard, and it's turning her on. Picard admits to her that he thought about pursuing her. Now that it's on the table, well, it's time to go to commercial, if you know what I mean. Act 4. The next morning, after some rather pleasant-seeming commercials, Picard wakes up with... Uh, Q. 
Q wonders whether Picard feels guilty. He does not. Picard doesn't know what's next, but he knows that he and Marta are still friends and that things will be different. And they are. Back in the bar with the Domjot table, Marta is very uncomfortable. She's afraid now that they've ruined their friendship. A sheepish Picard says, Maybe we can forget what happened and go back to being friends. You know, like that 400-year-old Dave Matthews song? But Marta says she can't do that. They're all getting together tonight, Corey, Marta, and Picard, for one last hurrah. So, let's do that. See you then. A helpful cue tallies up Picard's run in the past. So far, he's been slapped by one woman, had a drink thrown on him by another, and alienated his two best friends. All he has to do is not get stabbed in the heart, and he'll be good. Later, the last hurrah is more sort of a... Meh. You know what could liven up this party? A fight with some Nausicans. The one Corey was supposed to play at Domjot comes in and makes fun of Corey. Calls him a coward. Picard tries to defuse the situation with talk, but when the Nausicaan menaces Marta, Corey goes to throw a punch. Now Picard's ready to fight, but he's facing a surprising direction. He knocks Corey across the room, stopping his friend from landing a blow. Nobody is getting stabbed through the heart. Understandably upset, Corey says he doesn't know who Picard is anymore, but they're no longer friends. Marta follows Corey out with a rather scornful goodbye to Jean-Luc. And with that, Q congratulates Picard. He avoided the fight. And with a blink, Picard is back on the Enterprise. His Enterprise. Except it's not his. It's under the command of a Captain Thomas Halloway. His uniform color says he's a science officer. Worf says Picard is a lieutenant, junior grade, assistant astrophysics officer. Commander Data asks Picard if he needs help getting to sickbay, but Picard says he knows the way. In sickbay, surprise, it's Q. Picard calls shenanigans. He'd said nothing about the future would change, but Q says he kept his word. The only thing that changed is Picard. He never got in the fight, never got his artificial heart. His life followed the path it would have followed had none of those things happened. So, this is your life. Running reports for superiors. Gotta go. Act 5. Picard is not a lieutenant junior grade assistant astrophysics officer. I mean, he is in this timeline, but he'd like to be something more. In 10 forward, he corners Riker and Troy. So, listen, I'd like to do something else. Maybe even one day command. What are the odds? While the counselor and first officers say he's a completely competent officer, that's really about the best they can say. He's always had lofty ideas, but he never took any risks. Never stood out. He's played it safe. All the way to the middle. Command seems very unlikely. Riker and Troy are called away, and Picard sees the error of his ways, worrying so much about the other errors of his ways. Taking a turbo lift to engineering, Picard is talking to an unseen Q. Yeah, okay, he gets it. To make sure, though, the turbo lift doors open in the afterlife. I gave you a second chance, and all you're doing is complaining, says Q. Yeah, well, look at me. This me has no passion, no imagination. But Q says this is the Picard that never fought the Nausicaan. The one who played it safe. That Picard never had a brush with death. Never came face to face with his own mortality. Never realized how fragile life is and how important each moment must be. He simply drifted. Never seizing the opportunities that presented themselves. He learned to play it safe. And he never, ever got noticed by anyone. Picard asked you to put things back the way they were, the other time, the first time. He'd rather die in sickbay than live the life he just saw. And with that, Picard is back in the bar with the Domjot table, being called a coward by the Nausicans. Picard starts the fight again, though this time he's facing the Nausicans and standing by his friends. Of course, he ends up stabbed in the back through the heart... Looking down at the blade in his chest, the younger Picard laughs before falling unconscious. And the older Picard wakes up, laughing in sickbay aboard the Enterprise. His Enterprise. 
and this time it is his. While recovered, Picard tells Riker that he's not really sure whether what happened actually happened, but he did learn something. His past is his past, part of the tapestry of his life. Pull one thread and the whole thing comes unraveled. Riker's amazed at Picard's having picked a fight with the Nausicaa, and though the captain says, <laughs> wasn't the first time, he regales his first officer with one of those stories as we hit the end. Speaking of the end, I hate to jump to the end of our show. I know we have many more segments to go, but try not to get stabbed in the heart. That might be our best moral meaning and message to ever pull from an episode of Star Trek. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, but and yet Picard had to get stabbed in the heart. That's how this that's how this episode had to end. Try not to get stabbed in the heart because mm-hmm. almost every other time, I'm going to say 99.999% of the times in your life, yeah, that's going to be the best advice. It's a really good, really good lesson. <laughs> Maybe yeah. and most people wouldn't even like, you know, say try not to. Most people would just say don't. Don't. Don't yeah. don't get stabbed in the heart. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good way to sign off. That'll that'll maybe be the end of every show from now on. Um, hey, uh, Dr. Silar is back. Oh, no, she isn't. It's just another mention of Dr. Silar. And yeah. She is not seen. Yes. Tell Dr. Silar she can work in one of the other sick bays. Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> come on. They're, they're just taunting <laughs> us at this point. They are indeed. Yeah. Um, but look, another big shout out to 24th century medicine. Uh, we both like the plastic surgery. We both like erasing scars, like all that stuff. You can get stabbed through the heart with a giant hunting knife and they can still just put you back together, mm. put a new heart in there. You could just be lying there on the ground of a bar you know, for a good long time. And they're like, oh, it, it, we've seen this before. We got this. There was lots of standing around looking at him laying on the floor, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody rushed in. Of course, it is the 24th century, so we do know that even if medics have been called, they're walking casually to get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> they just, oh, we're going to we're gonna walk with purpose, slowly, but with purpose. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got to let the cameraman keep up. Oh, really? No cameras on this shot? <sighs> Maybe we should run. Yeah, don't worry about it. We got all the medicine we need. Hey, I know that Q is there to mess with Picard, but at one point Q tells Picard that he's just not that important to history. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking, yeah, except, of course, like, getting assimilated by the Borg um, and uh, preventing countless interplanetary conflicts and saving Earth how many times? I, You know, well, I, I realize that Q has a very big scope of history that he's looking at, but... Um, this Holloway, wow. though, this Holloway may actually be like... Um, like, uh, well, you can't say mirror universe Picard because that would be evil. I mean, he may be Picard's doppelganger in a way. Because Riker's still Riker, Troy's still Troy, Data's still Data, everything's still the same as far as the Enterprise goes. The only difference is Picard, he says. So maybe yeah, true. maybe Captain Holloway was assimilated by the Borg. Maybe Captain Holloway. Mm. Well, no, he didn't grow up in a vineyard in France. Although that you know of. He and Robert may be best <laughs> friends, actually. It could, could actually, be. It could be a very <laughs> sad life for Picard in Captain Holloway's world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are all the big things, but really it's always the little things, right? Like when we find out, you know, that that kid died because old man Gower poisoned him because Picard wasn't there to stop him. And, you know, mm-hmm. all those men on that troop transport died because Harry wasn't there to save them because Picard wasn't there to save Harry. Mm-hmm. And Mary never married, and Violet Bix, a woman of ill repute, and Nick the bartender's a total jerk now. I mean, how could Picard mm. not see mm. how much he did? I know. <laughs> um, Penny for your thoughts. Penny for your thoughts. Stop it now. All right. <laughs> uh, space billiards. Mm-hmm. We, we got space billiards. Uh, seriously, though, we, we will see a lot more of Dom Jot in the future. Yeah, it's cool to see the introduction of space billiards yes dom jot takes all the majesty and silent contemplation of billiards and just Mm -hmm. chucks it in the bin (laughs) how can we make this loud and obnoxious and and this table is not taking up nearly enough room yeah here's what we'll do we'll make a bigger table and shorter cues exactly exactly although it is it is kind of cute when the uh, when the nausicans like i give you bigger stick it's like oh wow (laughs) we may have to go to commercial for this conversation as well yeah. 
Hey, uh, it, there's one thing that is actually the, the silver lining around that cloud of Captain Picard being demoted to Lieutenant Junior Grade Picard. He could totally have a thing now with Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> and it wouldn't be weird. I want to see their show. <laughs> I want to see their yeah. show. Except I want to see the show in my head. Like, I know Lieutenant Junior J is actually a woman, but I still yeah. like the Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> so, Lu- Lieutenant Junior Picard and Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> yeah. Out there. Yeah. Or, or John Luck Pickard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That was actually a cute moment. Not the John Luck mm-hmm. Pickard thing, but just the, 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 the cute little, like, 1920s, like, run in there. He did a little dance. He did a little dance when he came in. Is that still a job in the 24th century? Uh, Well, you know, nobody else batted an eye. You know, know. this happens. This happens on a remote (laughs) starbase. It's it's like we we have everybody that we need here to run this facility. But we also have the singing telegram guy, you know? Yeah. Although he didn't sing. Had he sung, then that would have been that would have been amazing. he, He could do it. He's cute. If he wanted to sing, he could do it. Um, uh, other things that I learned here, um, if a Nausicaan says you have no Guramba, just say no. No, I don't. You're right. <laughs> that's that's what I picked up from this. And, um, oh, I was very glad at the end of the episode, Picard says the tapestry of my life because we just wanted to make sure we got the title of this one spoken on screen. I did a little golf clap when that happened. I don't know if you did that, but, uh, but you should. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, at the very end, Picard tells Riker that he had another run-in with Nausicans, uh when he was in his sophomore year. I'm actually beginning to see what's really going on here. Um, keep Picard away from Nausicans. <laughs> Here's the deal. He, he is progressive. He's very enlightened. He is a great diplomat. But he has got a blind spot when it comes to Nausicans. Just... Keep him away. And now, I implore you to please pay very special attention to these very special words from our very special sponsor. We gotta keep her from saying that. She talked to me about this, by the way. She wants 10%. Uh, have you talked to her agent? <laughs> you know, she got she's on the patch. I don't understand. I don't understand. Uh, All right. Save it. uh, Save it for off air. Off air. Hey, uh, but right now, right now, we want to tell our listeners about the official Star Trek graphic novels collection from our friends at Eagle Moss. So this is it, people. For the first time ever, the best of five decades of Star Trek comics has been brought together in one extraordinary new collection that spans everything all the graphic novels, all the comics that have ever been produced for Star Trek. And it features everything from the very first to the latest adventures. And this definitely is the way to read these. There's a um, there's a comic book shop near here. Mm-hmm. And they've got a bunch of old comic books. And that's great because you can go back and find some really neat old stuff. Like, like you have no idea what a horrible character Star-Lord actually was, like, back in the 1970s. <laughs> and I came across one, and I wish I'd bought it because I want to show people how bad Star-Lord is. But the problem is mm-hmm. it was almost illegible because it was such an old comic. Now, that was just one issue of the Star-Lord thing, and I couldn't find any more. And, and what does this have to do with Star Trek? It, it, what what Eagle Moss has done is they've, they've taken, like, all of the issues of a particular arc or a particular storyline and put them together in one book. Yeah. Because, like, if I went down there and I found a great comic book, you know, that was from 1986, let's say, when DC had the Star Trek license, I might get number one, I might get number two, and then I could either look through, seriously, like, a whole room full of other boxes to hopefully find number three, or... I could go ahead and start grabbing these books from Eagle Moss because they're they're taking whole stories and rather than you having to go out and hunt up different comic books and pay a different price for each comic book that you find to just get the one story, uh, they're putting the whole story in one beautifully bound volume. Well, it's the ultimate thing for completists and people who want to read the whole story. You know, we've talked before about City on the Edge of Forever having Harlan Ellison's original version. I'm also a big fan of the Borg Hive series. Mm-hmm. So you have 
this complete picture of the Borg graphic novels and then all those special features, all the interviews, all the bonus art that goes in with that. You really feel like you got the complete story there. It's an incredible way to collect these. Like I said before, too, I mean, you're getting books from back when DC held the rights. All the publishers are here. Uh, from uh, Star Trek Dumb. Um, <laughs> that includes Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Paramount Comics, Wildstorm, Tokyo Pop, and IDW, which, of course, is still uh, producing Star Trek stories today. I uh, even get the rarely seen British strips uh, from the early 1970s uh, in, with the, um, in with the Eagle Moss collection. I am a fan. So you can start your collection today with Volume 1 Countdown for only $4.95 with free shipping. So Countdown is the story before J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek movie. So that lets you in on what drove Nero and Spock to travel back to the 23rd century, and that's how they created the Kelvin universe. You get the whole backstory on why that happened. So bonus content with that issue includes the very first Gold Key Star Trek comic book from 1967. So it really bookends from TOS all the way up to the Kelvinverse. Subsequent editions ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door. You may cancel your subscription at any time. You're not going to. <laughs> For details on the entire collection, <laughs> including a host of exclusive free gifts and order, please visit eaglemoss.com slash mission log. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. So what do we think about the relationship between Picard and Marta? <laughs> oh. Well, now that I know how old she was. Yeah, well, uh, okay, let, let's not talk about the actors necessarily, but the, yeah, because that, that's, sure, that, that's interesting. Uh, but but the, the characters, because to me, you know, Next Gen has very frequently shown us this, shall we say, evolved sort of way of looking at adult relationships, particularly Romantic ones, uh, people like Troy and Riker, who don't seem to have too many hangups about hookups, friends with benefits, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we kind of see that throughout, like it's just sort of a thing. Now, Marta and Picard, uh, of course, they're they're very young in the context of the story, but they're just sort of resigned to the idea that their budding relationship is a terrible idea. It's full of remorse and sadness and we're going to get split up and you know i i remember at one point um oh what was his name young wesley crusher who mm. had this budding relationship with a with a young ashley judd <laughs> playing robin leffler and it, it seems like they had this great romance but it ended on this very positive note and this was the complete opposite of that and, and, and i i i don't know it just kind of struck me as believable certainly believable i think they played the moment beautifully but odd in context of the other kinds of romantic relationships that we've seen so far on next gen not odd for picard though i don't think right hmm. i mean he eventually fell for vaj yeah but it sort of kind of took a while and yeah. he was not going to he was not going to just play around with her no, I mean, he's sure. not yeah, he's yeah. not a play around kind of guy. When he found out what the Horgon was actually for, he tried to hide it. Yeah. Right. I mean, he is much more he's more. I don't know if parochial is the right word, but he's much more traditional, mm -hmm. I would say, mm -hmm. in relationships. And then add to that the fact that he's 21 at the time that this happened. Oh, sure. And, yeah, and yeah. Marta assumably is around 21 as well. Yeah. I mean, because the whole Wesley and Leffler thing, you're right. They did leave that on a good note, but. She's leaving, mm -hmm. you know, so, I mean, they have to leave that on a good note unless he's going to pine for the rest of his life. Right. 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 I mean, unless that's going to be how they're going to write him from now on. You can't have him be crestfallen at the end of it and be totally fine the next week. You kind of have to have him be fine with everything. And, you know, and they say, hey, maybe we'll see each other again because maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, though. It is kind of weird. I mean, it, it sort of. I guess kind of flies in the face of uh, what was it that uh, Gene wanted to do with uh, young Jeremy Astor? Yeah, what? Right. kids' yeah. parents die; they get yeah. over it. Everything's great in the twenty fourth century. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. great that there's no. And honestly, who knows? Well, 
there's no point in even considering that because who knows what Gene Roddenberry would have thought of that, but who knows what Gene Roddenberry would have thought of so much Star Trek that uh, <laughs> right. sadly didn't get a chance to think about. So Yeah. Now, I, I kind of feel bad for Lieutenant Picard. <laughs> so, so truthfully, why he gets to hang out with Junior J? Well, well, uh, that's uh, definitely a benefit there. But, but uh, so truthfully, we know that Captain Picard is destined for great things and has a great mind, et cetera, et cetera. But, but man, are people dismissive of him in this alternate timeline with his alternate rank and and dismissive of his job too. It's like mm. Barclay all over again. Like I thought we finally got somewhere with Barclay because we were just appalled at how badly he was treated early on. Yeah. You know, and, right. and finally, finally, we give the guy a chance. And that's sort of the lesson that everybody on the Enterprise needed to learn. Give this guy a chance. He actually has something to offer. And with Picard. Coming in, sitting down with uh, Riker and Troy. I mean, what a wow. What are his reviews like in that timeline? Because he, he sits down and they're just like, yeah, you're just uh, you're just not good at that. No, so, no, 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 no. They didn't say he wasn't good. He's fine. Well, he's fine at, at doing what he does. But but they, they're just like, yeah, you, you don't have what it takes to be in command. You know, you don't have what it takes to go beyond where you are. And that right. seems like kind of bad management in a way, you know? Well, there are a couple of things that I would say to that. I mean, because, I mean, you're not right, except, I mean, you're not wrong. Excuse me. You're right. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I apologize. You're right, except that, I mean, not, I mean, first of all, he's no worse off than the thousand other people on that ship whose names we never learn. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because it's a ship of supposedly a thousand people. You and I can name, what, How many? 15 to 20 named right. characters that are regularly on the Enterprise, right. including, God bless her, Lieutenant Junior J. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Salar, who, you know, <laughs> right. we'll never see again, but we do right. know that she's somebody there. But we can name maybe at the outside, I would say, 25 characters. Yeah, the dolphins don't have names. So. Well, they probably do, but we just haven't learned them. Yeah. You know, the puppies probably even had names, but we don't know their names either. So we'll oh. count each of them as one character. Yeah. My, my point is, I mean... <sighs> I don't know. I, I found myself it's like two places there. He still made the flagship, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's so good at what he does that even though he doesn't really want to do a lot more, he still made it to, to the top of whatever. He's fairly low rank, but he's on the best ship in the Federation or in, in Starfleet. Sure. I mean, his reviews probably stink, except that Picard who grew up in that timeline, who lived in that timeline, who never fought the Nausicans, probably thinks his reviews are awesome. It's only this other Picard that lived this other life who's now thrust into this sort of milk toasty life that, that thinks, oh, no, this is not what I want to be. This is not who I want to be. Well, and certainly, yeah, yeah, certainly Picard would feel that way. I guess the problem is seeing the other people around him. And granted, they're not catching that as best. He is disoriented. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. But it, it just feels like um, it, it, it smacked of looking down on the job as well as looking down on the person. It's so interesting to me because I did not see them looking down at either one. I mm. saw a bit of surprise because for the very first time ever, this 50 or 60 something year old man is like, hey, what if I want to be captain? <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> right. like, really? You are 50 or 60 years old and you are literally just now thinking about this mm. because he's from an alternate timeline for all intents and purposes. And so, I mean, he's not thought about anything else in the one that he lived in. But he's in this one now where other Picard, Logie Picard, let's call him, where Logie Picard lived and just sort of like, you know, walked through his life. And, you know, at 60 something, he is a lieutenant junior grade, but yeah, probably OK with that because that's what he's chosen to do for the 40 or 50 years since uh, since the uh, since the Academy. Well, I sincerely hope that 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 Picard would be very happy in his job and he would get some respect for the job that he's doing. Because you know yeah. what? Because I think that is good management. You know, you look at the people who are your subordinates and you go, hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you for that. You're a valued member of the team. And I would hope that he would get some satisfaction from that. Hey, guys, guys, look, they said I'm punctual. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go. I'm just saying, don't look down on somebody's job. <laughs> 
you know, and, and hopefully yeah, they're absolutely. not. Hopefully they're not. Yeah. Um, is there an implied thing here that sometimes you need to get into a bar fight? Um, <laughs> so and I ask it because of that. So the production actually got letters about that. Um, people thinking that there is a pro-violence or at least not a pro-peace message in this episode. Now, I don't think we can actually take that literally. Mm-hmm. I, I think what we have to take is that Picard makes bad decisions or made bad decisions. He's only human, just like we all make bad decisions. And he has to learn and live with the consequences. You can't change history. And even if you could, then you wouldn't be you by changing history because that changes everything. So I, I don't know. I, I was surprised to learn that. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, I I could see where people could see this particular story that way. But I don't think it's an endorsement of violence as being the answer. I I think it's simply Picard coming to grips with his own bad decisions and clearly that making him the man that he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I joked earlier about... um Logie Picard Mm -hmm. and for people who haven't been listening to the show or haven't gone back to listen to the show since the beginning I mean if you jumped in the middle great we're glad to have you Mm -hmm. but that's actually a reference to I think the eighth episode of the original series um, The Enemy Within Within, where we talked about uh, Logie Kirk and Alt Kirk because one of them just really didn't have much drive to do anything and the other one was you know totally violent and what we ended up deciding at the end of that episode was that Kirk had to accept both parts of himself mm-hmm. to 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 really, I mean, to be a whole, to be a whole person, to be a whole Kirk. Yeah. He had to like the parts of himself that were just really vile in his estimation, and he had to like the parts that were really vile in another way in his estimation. Mm-hmm. But but it's those things that come together and make you who you are. And Picard is learning, I think, a variation of that lesson here. Yeah. Um, I mean. There are things about the way that I was raised that I don't like. And I've spent, you know, I'm 40-something years old now, so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. There are things about the way that I grew up that I don't like. But I know, were those things different, I would not be who I am right now. Right. And I don't always like who I am right now, but there are things about myself that I do like that I know would have been, that wouldn't be there had I grown up, you know, differently. Yeah. And yet, you know, I mean, I don't, do you find yourself in that trap? I mean, are there things that you're like, yeah, I like who I am. Things are, you know, fine the way they are. I don't think I would like this part of me gone. And yet there's still something in your past. You're like, yeah, I wish that, I wish that hadn't happened. Even though it makes you who you are. Yeah. Only about 110%. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To me, the thing that's worth noting about this episode, I mean, so in addition to the, you got to like every part of what's happened, you don't even have to like every part of what's happened. Honestly, you just need to accept. Mm-hmm. You need to not beat yourself up about it or wish that you could change it because that's as big a trap as, you know, as what, what happens with Picard if he actually could change it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really worth noting this episode, though, is um, this is an episode of Star Trek that says take risks written by a guy who dropped off a script while he was on a tour of the set. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That was him. He did not go through the regular submission process. He, he like, you know, slid the script to somebody, which you had said when we talked about that initially was a total no, no. Mm -hmm. And yet Mm -hmm. we all know who Ronald Moore is, at least the people listening to this show, because he took a risk that other people would have said, dude, dude, don't do that. Or dude, that's stupid. Or dude, you're going to get me in trouble. Right. Right. And, and and the thing is, on the one hand, you can say, well, easy for you to say, take risks from your fancy corner office with your fancy typewriter and your mini fridge full of tiny bottles of soda and water and maybe even <laughs> soda water. But I mean, he's able to write this script because, I mean, in, in a small way, maybe in a big way, maybe he actually lived this story. He he did what he is saying. You know, Picard, the reason that what stinks about Picard's life is is not that anything stinks about Picard's life, except that he never took any risks. That was it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it, that was one thing that I was thinking about as I was watching it. It's like, oh, wow, look at that. The guy who risked, you know, being mocked 
for dropping <laughs> off a script <laughs> is writing an episode saying, you know what you should do? Take risks. Yeah. 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 That's a, a, an interesting point. Um, hey, before we move on, to, just a, a quick thing that I know is Q is different here than, than mm-hmm. the Q that we've dealt with before. He He's calmer. He's not as destructive. He's more personal. And I, I kind of like that this thing ended with Picard questioning whether or not any of that stuff happened because Q was portrayed differently than, than he had been before. And I, I can see where Picard come to that conclusion. Did you make anything of it, the, uh, of Q being different or just that this is kind of a, a different type of story, that it was a very intimate, very personal story? I've honestly never been under the impression that Q didn't like any of the people with whom he was dealing. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see that. Yeah. I, he likes Picard. He oh, doesn't yeah. know how to like Picard properly. He doesn't yeah. know how to show it properly. I mean, what what Q really needs is to let people love him. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's true. not going to happen anytime soon. But in this episode, I was like, I mean, it was nice to, it was nice to, um, uh, yeah, it, w- it was interesting to see a different side of Q. After the show, do not touch that dial. It is the semi-quarter half amateur championship round of Dumb Jot. Human. Watch Dumb Jot. Human. Right after Mission Log. Tapestry, John. Or as I like to call it, Tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> Time now to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. I say it again, sir. Tapestry. Mm, I like the way you say that. Thank you. Yeah. Does the episode hold up as far as you're concerned? This episode, Tapestry. Oh, you, uh, I'm sorry. You want my notes about Tapestry? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, it's a booby trap for a new millennium. Yes, Tapestry, John. <laughs> sure. Um... Matt, this episode has, for an intimate character-driven piece, it Mm -hmm. has got a lot of scope. It it feels big. And I kind of was thinking to myself that if the original series had run longer, I could have seen this type of story with Kirk. Um, And and we almost, uh, well, I mean, we, we essentially got this story in the animated series with Yesteryear. You know, being able to take an established character like Spock and have him look at his young life Mm. is kind of kind of a a magical thing. So it's part a Christmas Carol and it's part it's a wonderful life. And Ron Moore is well aware and totally good with that, that he was sort of doing a riff on those. And Michael Piller was totally not good with that. But really. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. I actually. Interestingly enough. I actually checked to see when this episode ran because Mm -hmm. it should have been a Christmas episode. And I mean, it's not a Christmas episode, but it's a Christmas episode in that. It's a Wonderful Life is not really a Christmas movie, but it is a Christmas movie. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, Ron Moore had originally thought about having Q guide Picard into different stages of his life. So it really was a Christmas carol. Yeah. But then they decided to focus on this one moment. Um, and there was something kind of funny. Like, I, all right, okay, I have a lot of my own reasons for not really putting any stock into an afterlife. And, and I love that ambiguous ending. The 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 way it's presented here, you know, with, with Picard questioning what's going on. And we even kind of question as an audience Q presenting himself as God and that as the afterlife. And I, I kind of enjoy this version that, that there's this sort of, cruel version of the afterlife where your your relatives has come back to tell you what a disappointment you are like that's sure why why wouldn't that be an afterlife too <laughs> you know right. something very amusing about that um hey do you remember when will wheaton was on our show yes yeah okay good good hopefully our listeners remember that too um he talked about this episode having special resonance for him. And, and I think that everyone who watches it will bring their own experience, which to me is a sign of really good writing. You know, if you can make it an episode that is that universal to people, then that means you're probably doing something right. And uh, to talk about performances, of course, John Delancey is going to be great. Of course, Patrick Stewart's going to be great. J.C. Brandy is great. 
And I had no idea that she was only 17 when I first watched this, but she brings a maturity and emotional depth that is perfect for the episode, perfect for what they're trying to get across. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say with all of that is that, yeah, this episode holds up. It it holds up in a really big way for me. Um, You feel the same way? Totally. Um, You were you were saying earlier and I didn't want to get into it last segment, but when you were talking about the difference with Q, yeah, when Picard and Q are laying in bed together, <laughs> <laughs> there's just such a, there's a, whether they're friends or not, they're locked into each other's beings somehow. And, and there was just like a, there was a, I can't explain it exactly, but there was an intimacy to their conversation. There was a civility to their conversation. There was a, there was, there was caring in their conversation somehow that, that we've not seen before. And you're right. John Delancey always brings something. Uh, He brought something more in this episode and I did not mean to do that pun. Maybe it's Ronald Moore's writing. Maybe it's something else. Mm. I don't know, but there was, there was something else in this episode. At the same time, we got, I've done things of which I'm not, you know, it it was funny to watch Picard do the whole like, oh man, I used to be such a horrible person. Like this one time, like this one time I went out and did this really horrible thing. (laughs) And he's like, he's got a smile. I mean, he's like, he's, you know, he's telling, like Q says, why did she slap you? He's like, oh, well, because she just found out that I had another, uh, I had another date planned. In fact, uh, um, I'm actually supposed to be there right now, so will you excuse me? He, he looks a little proud of himself at that moment, right? Yeah. And, and and I mean, yeah. like, there's there's again, we we started saying, I think, in season two, we're going to get tired of saying what a great actor uh, Patrick Stewart is, but he brought something else to this episode that, while you knew he was capable of it as an actor, I don't think we've ever seen this from Picard before. Yeah, I don't think like even when he was telling Wesley, like you know, about his youthful indiscretions, it was still sort of, I had youthful indiscretions, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And in this right. one, he's like, let me tell you about this one time that I probably shouldn't tell you about, but it's so good, so I'm going to anyway. Acting in this was just absolutely stellar. And then all the other stuff, I mean, like, yeah, it gives you a lot to work with. Maybe the weakest part of the episode is the relationship between Picard and Corey. Yeah, I agree. But it's only because we, we pretty much start them at odds. Right. I mean, not yeah. not from that first not from the first moment in the in the dorm, but from the time he's playing Domjot on. And so it may be hard for me to see what their kinship is, except their kinship is the Academy. Their kinship is the past four years. And unfortunately, I don't get to be let in on that. But even yeah. that's not a I mean, that's a failing of 48 minutes. That's not a failing of any of the acting or even the writing, because you got 48 minutes. There's only so much you can do. Sure. I think, you know, as inconsistent so far the first half of season six has been, Mm -hmm. I think what you're describing about Patrick Stewart and John Delancey and and the the different feel of this, I I think you only get to do this episode when you've been on for six seasons, Mm -hmm. when when you've got a history there and the audience can be tuned in and they've kind of been teased about this little thing about Picard's past, but now you're going to put it all out there on the table. I, I think that this is one of those episodes that it's a great episode anyway, but again, it's about the payoff, the the payoff of everything that we have built up about Picard up until this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it landed where it did. Um, and, and I think all of that, all the history that we bring to it as an audience is part of what makes this stand out so well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. What about the messages? Uh, they're all in there. <laughs> <laughs> all all the messages are in there. Uh, no, I mean this is this is a contemplative episode of Star Trek. It, it, it isn't save the whales or be the best you can be. It, it's about acceptance of oneself, and, and it's about seizing opportunity. Um, you know, the the lesson in here about realizing that even the worst things that happen to you or are done to you in life are what make you who you are, that is a bitter pill to swallow. And 
it is one that I have to remind myself in ways that I don't want to. Um, part of what makes this episode special is that you are going to watch this at different times in your life and you're going to bring whatever is going on in your life to this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to get too serious here, but this hit me at a time when, yeah, I look at this and I think, wow, those horrible things that happen can actually make you a stronger person. It is a horrible thing to have to learn that way to actually go through it. But when you come out on the other side, you think, yeah, I'm I'm stronger and better for it. It's easy for people to say that to you, to say, oh, whatever's going on right now, you'll be stronger and better for it. Even the worst times in your life will will inform who you are and, and build you up. It's terrible to hear that in the moment, mm -hmm. but it is really true in retrospect. Um so, yeah, the, that thing that I was describing earlier about how uh, a great piece of writing allows the reader, or in this case, the viewer, to bring themselves to it. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, that's what I did here, and that's what I expect a lot of our audience is doing with this as well. Um, so those, those strong messages about accepting who you are and accepting the things that are the hardest to deal with in yourself or, or your circumstance that they can only serve to build you up and make you better and stronger. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to hear in the abstract, but, but once you've gone through it, I, I think you understand and appreciate it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, what about you? I'm tempted to say there's something in there about taking risks, but mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that is what alt or, or Logie Picard, excuse me. That's what Logie Picard was faulted for, was for not yeah. taking risks, for not standing out. But that's actually only important if you want to be in command. I think really the thing is just, is sort of the enemy within stuff again. Hmm. You are all the aspects of yourself. You're the things that you've done. You're the things that have happened to you. And you might hate them, but they, they, they do become a part of you. Now, of course, I mean, this all assumes that you actually are kind of okay with who you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, yeah. But I'm assuming that people who aren't are doing something else to sort of hide themselves from that fact anyway. So whatever happened to them before, I mean, maybe, that's, maybe that becomes the crutch that they hang on or the anchor that they feel like they're dragging. If you're kind of okay with who you are, but, you know, you're fixating on something that you wish hadn't happened, you need to accept it because yeah. it happened. And hopefully the good news is it helped you become who you are. Hopefully that is good news for you. And, you know, personally, that's good news for me some days and not others. But I mean, yeah. you know, what, what's odd? I mean, the, the one the one tiny problem that I had with this episode and I'm willing to I'm willing to let go of it. But the one tiny problem I had is I don't see Picard as a guy always walking around going, man, why did I pick a fight with a Nausicaan? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, he really has to be like prodded yeah. into this moment. He has to be prodded into saying, yeah, I guess I wish I hadn't done that. And then, yeah. and then Q's like, oh, oh, something you wish you hadn't done. Well, why don't we make that happen then? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. Picard's not a guy. Who, I mean, it's more of a Barclay thing, honestly, to be like, oh, I, I, I wish I hadn't, I, I wish I hadn't said that. Well, I'm, I'm very yeah. sorry that I said yeah. the thing that I shouldn't have said. I mean, th this is not, it's not Picard, but I'm, I, I can totally let that go because yes, I, I mean, like I say, unless you're Tony Robbins, you've got regret. And I'm not convinced that Tony <laughs> Robbins doesn't have regret, but that's a whole other I'm thing sure for a whole other time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so not letting that, not letting that be your defining, not letting that be your defining thing, not letting that be the thing that guides you for the rest of your life, or maybe, you know, fear or avoiding it or something. I don't know. It, it's for me, it's hard to pin down exactly what the, what the thing is. And yet I feel like there's an amazing message in there that even though I can't put it into the exact words, 
Um, well, I, I think because it, it, it is so personal, again. Yeah, yeah you know, like, like I said, it, it, it's not save the whales. It, it, it's just sit here and and experience this for 48 minutes. And, <laughs> and then after that 48 minutes, you will probably sit there and think about whatever happened in your life or is happening in your life. Right. That um, you're maybe not too thrilled with, but um, but hopefully on the other side is better. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about what Roddenberry is up to at their website, roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show, there's a way to do it. Uh, Check out our Patreon page. We'll send you things. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Mission Log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Birthright. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Before we go, some age-old advice. It is as my dear, old, motherboard used to say. Do not get stabbed in the heart. And transmission. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.